listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. Eamon, have you met Bracken before? At some point, but I don't know when it would have been Bracken. That's what I was telling Kirk. I said, I feel like I've chatted with you before, but I can't say exactly. Yeah. A long time ago, whenever it was. Yeah. Well, welcome on. I can't... Thank you. You're still rocking the long hair after all these years, huh? I'm Has hang- this been... I'm hanging on. I got a bald spot coming in, so now I rock the ponytail to cover it. <laughs> Can you... <laughs> I might give that a Smart. try. <laughs> I'll have to wrap mine forward and up, though. Uh-huh. The front pony. <laughs> yeah. Rare. It's a bold move. Yeah. Eamon, are you in Zupont's office? I sure are am. Are you in that same... Oh my goodness! In the corner redid it, a little bit. You might have to zoom is, in, Kirk. Let's see if I can find you over here. You're, uh, um, some. Oh my God! That list. There only used to be like two plaques in there, Eamon, full yeah, of names. Well, it, obviously, it's been a while. Well, Zoop started doing all track athletes once he took over the head coaching job. So instead of just distance, but you're over there on that mm. first plaque, last row. Okay. Seventh from yep. the bottom. Three, right. three above me from that indoor meet at Ohio. Yeah, Northern. you were an All-American there too, weren't you? Yeah, weren't you sixth, seventh, eighth there the same I year? I was eighth, yeah. I think you and I were both eighth. Yeah. Dave got third in the 5K that year. You know, I got mine at Ohio Northern as well. Really? Yeah. Come now, on. But to be fair, it was a relay, and I had three teammates nail it, and I bombed. <laughs> so. were, you, were you DMR? <laughs> Yeah, DMR. What leg? Uh, 1,200. Okay. Hey, that's still an important leg. It, I set us up to not have anyone chasing us, <laughs> which is tactically you important. You get to be the hunters. Yeah. Hey, man, I've been looking forward to this conversation. Ever since I tried to put the bug in your ear to get you on this thing, I'm like, I'm very excited to talk to you about a lot of things. That's you know good. That? I'm looking forward yeah, to it, it too. It's been, it's been too long, you know? I still run past the Pink Palace and tell the horror stories of you getting sick. That was after I left. but Yeah, that's terrible. I hope they fix that place up. I've told that story about me getting sick on this podcast before, but that was uh, yeah, that was the house I lived in, the Pink Palace. We'll if say. I didn't that's where, know your backstory. That's where everybody I felt. And he yeah. said, I run past the Pink Palace where you got sick. <laughs> I would assume a whole different story. <laughs> Let your imagination go wherever it wants. That's also true. <laughs> Deal. So we'll just cut in here wherever we feel like aiming, but we are talking to one of my former teammates at my alma mater, UW Oshkosh, and now head coach of the cross country and I believe track team, right? You're head coach of both? I am a distance now. I'm head men's and women's coach, though, so we did some, some realigning since we used to have split genders, obviously, in our era. So now I'm head men's and women's cross, but I distance only on the track for both genders. Mm. that's okay. the way to and do it so we've been why why is that head track coach seems like a lot of paperwork i actually liked i actually thought the job was easier with single gender oh i just meant being distance coach versus head head coach. oh yeah for sure but but when because when i first got the job i was men's only so i was oh, yeah. men's head cross men's head track and then my fourth year here, our, our women's coach left in the during the season, so we kind of emergency moved things around. Mm-hmm. That was 2015. 
Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, like when you're directly overseeing more athletes, you know, you're doubling your direct reports. It it adds a lot of work, but um, it is nice to not have the you know the full head responsibilities all track season from December yeah. to May. So, well, we talk about back in the day a good bit here. Uh, Amen on this podcast. So I think it'll be good for some people to kind of put it together a little bit because you were two years older than me. Is that right? Yes, were, sir. High school 99. Is that right? You were 01. Yeah. Yeah. And you were one of the guys and I don't want to just, you know, fluff you up off the bat, but like you're one of my favorite people from back then. You were a fantastic mentor. You kept things light and fun. You weren't like, you didn't have an ego. You were a good time. At the same time, you set a really good example, like hard work and just like genuinity. And like, so I've had such a good, like when I think of Eamon, I just think of like Eamon up there singing Man of Constant Sorrow with a rubber chicken sticking out of his <laughs> overalls at open mic. That was a good time. Those were the days. The the nine people. Yeah, stumbling crowd, back to your dorm it. room drunk. You yeah, didn't drink. Me, me the baby. Stumbling back to your no. dorm room drunk, being an idiot. <laughs> yeah, all those times. So I'm going to set us up in the bracket. I know you're going to want to dive into a number of things here, but um, couple, there's two major things that I wanted to get caught up on with you, and that is. One, before I had gotten sick in that time and I had gone to graduate school for ex-phys and sports psych, my full hope was to go teach and coach at a university. That's what I wanted to do. That's not what happened. So you're actually living sort of the job that I envisioned having. And then two, what on earth is the college coaching scene like these days? Like, I think it's vastly different than it was two decades ago. And so I was hoping to chat about all that stuff first, but Bracken, you don't really know Eamon. So I feel like we should get to know him like briefly here quick mm-hmm. before we dive into this. I have specifics. the outside perspective where I was class of 05 high school and I knew of Eamon and his running. And then when I got to Whitewater, I got there, what, 07? Cause I got there as a sophomore. And so we, we, we had seen his name on lists and results and conference uh, championships and things like that. And then I believe, Eamon, you wound up at Central coaching for a bit, didn't you? I did not, but I was um, no? I was in Milwaukee for a little bit. And one of my one of my buddies, one of our old teammates, Dave Rudy, Rudy. was there for a little bit. So I actually <laughs> did, when I was in Milwaukee, I actually <laughs> ran workouts a couple times That's what with, it was. with some of those guys. But um, yeah, so I was not, not too far from the area. Because that's where you're from, right? Yeah, yeah, that's where I am now, actually. We're back in West Dallas. Okay, awesome. So, yeah, I heard about you when I was at Whitewater, and in high school, I, I was aware of your name. And then in post-collegiate, with, with you coming back in, I was hearing your name again, because Rudy was my brother's coach for a little bit. Okay. And and so, yeah, I, I'm here and there, I'm aware of you, but I don't I don't know the man behind the legend. <laughs> wow, pressure's on. Mm-hmm. So what do you? So why don't you give us a quick, uh, give us a snapshot? I described you as a grinder. You yeah. showed up and you ground. What? Yeah. Tell me about your athletic like career uh, through college, anyways. Yeah. The. Uh, I mean, I'll give you a quick backstory. Like I'm kind of a nerd. Um, both my parents are librarians, you know, by trade. So um, they're both retired now. But I was, you know, we read a lot myself and my sisters. So. 
I actually attribute that. I was just thinking about this yesterday, actually, when I was running after we, you know, were chatting with the team, and I attribute a lot of like the the day to day, like you're saying, grind. You know, like the and I look at it as like discipline, right? The ability to just kind of almost be the same day in and day out. Um, I can, you know, attribute a lot of that to like my parents' mindset and the fact that, you know, we were reading hundreds and hundreds of books growing up. And you don't think about it when you're little, of course. You don't think about, like, what foundation you're laying. But then you grow up and, like, it's just easy to lock in and do the job, you know, because you were mm. raised in such a way where, like, the distractions are are minimal for you, you know, or your ability to handle the distractions. So, um, but I was... You know, raised outside of Oconomowoc. I went to Oconomowoc High School, graduated there in 99. Um, again, all that reading I did made school pretty easy. I was very fortunate, you know, that my parents pushed me in that direction. I was valedictorian at Oconomowoc um, and had a lot of options college-wise, honestly. But um, when I sat out in the golf lobby and back in the fall of 1998, um, I still remember meeting with, you know, our old coach Zoop and him just saying, hey, like, you can win stuff here. You know, in my senior year in high school, there was, I was running low 16s a few times in, in the 16s most of the times, which at that time was a lot more significant than it is mm. now <laughs> with, the, with what the kids are running. But, <laughs> yes, um, it is. you know, I was like, I was 14th at state my senior year in, in cross country, which was a pretty big deal at my high school. We didn't have a, an outstanding program back then. Um, and, but we had a couple meets where our- To interrupt. Coach, yep, go ahead. To interrupt real quick. Um, do you think to this day you're the only high school valedictorian to choose to go to Oshkosh in the history of the world? <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> I know I would say no there's got to be others and we've had some we've had some smart kids here um you know one of them is down in in West Dallas Dewey John DeWitt who just you know he's an alum of ours just he coaches it and teaches at uh Hale mm-hmm. in West Dallas and he was a 4-0 student here and he just qualified for his third Olympic trials in the marathon. So two seventeen um, thirteen or something but, like that. Yeah. But was he valedictorian probably not so we'd have to do no, nah, we'll he's a wrestler. To, we'll do, have to do some archiving, Kirk, if we want to get to the bottom. Okay. Get to the bottom of that. There's but like I, a little underlying irony to your ultimate decision. I just think it's amusing. Yes. I took, but the, not I, mean, to I, took I interrupted. Sorry, I took some heat from my classmates at that time. You know, like they're looking at me like, "What the f are you thinking? Like going to Sloshkosh, you know, or Slosh-kosh. UW Zero, or." You know, whatever. But for mm-hmm. me, it was like, well, I'm going to get good grades no matter where I go. Also, I want at that time, I wanted to be a teacher or a sports broadcaster. So mm-hmm. UWO has radio, TV, film, obviously education degree. I don't really need to go somewhere fancy. My dream school when I was little was Notre Dame, being a you know an Irish Catholic. Um, but mm-hmm. I figured I probably didn't need to pay forty or fifty k a year to go to Notre Dame to get a teaching degree. That wasn't gonna that wasn't gonna go that well long term. So. When you were in high school, I assume it's the same as ours. That valedictorian had their their school paid for to any state school. So it, it was correct? it was two it was like two thirds tuition. Two thirds. Yeah. By yeah. the time I think it I think that program started as a full tuition, and then okay. you know the the state kept tweaking it and tweaking it. I believe it still exists to a certain degree. I don't mm. know exactly what they're getting, but I still think you get a nice um, lump. So so usually yeah. people go to Madison. Or Minnesota, right. since we have reciprocity there, they don't right. 
They don't go slumming. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which I can say with affection because I'm in West Dallas. Yes, for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, Oshkosh, like, Zoop sold a vision of you, you're going to have good people here to run with. You know, I had a couple meets my senior year where our number two guy didn't break 20 minutes. So for me, you know, I had spent the, that entire year, like, I'm alone doing everything, you know. Um, so when I was like, dang, I'm looking at guys' times at Oshkosh. I'm thinking about what a team like that looks like, about what it's going to feel like to, like, get your butt beat early in your career. Um, and then that vision of, you know, standing on a podium with people that you care about and sweat with and put all that work in um, was cool. So that was kind of the that was kind of the selling point. But Oshkosh was the only... They were the only uh, YAC school that actively recruited me. Um, it did help that we had a guy, uh, an Oshkosh alum, as our school counselor um, at that time in Oconomowoc. So that was kind of kind of pointed me in the right direction. And again, and this is really pre-internet back then, right? So now, mm-hmm. like, I go on the internet and I see every kid's time, but unfortunately, every single kid sees every or every coach sees every kid's time. So it's a it's a bloodbath out there in terms of recruiting. But back then it was like, if you can uncover a gem or two, you might be one of two or three coaches that are even recruiting, you know, that kid. So, mm-hmm. and I was a little bit of a late bloomer running wise. You know, I, w- I grew up basketball and soccer were my favorite. Um, I did play basketball throughout high school. Um, but then my, my senior year outdoor, I finished third in the 3200. Um, at state and that's when I kind of was like okay like I can do something at the next level you know but I had never made state till my senior year so I probably went under the radar a little bit mm-hmm. in terms of people mm-hmm. trying to to figure out who I was um, so yeah that's kind of leading up to Oshkosh at Oshkosh it was um, I actually tell this story to our athletes now because it's we we kind of talk about like social decision making and we're we're infinitely better than we were um, during Kirk and my era <laughs> here as a team. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Our, our weekends, right? Like our, our ability mm, our to weekends. kind of avoid normal college life, right? Which is not innately a negative, as we know. But I think, you know, certainly you and I, Kirk, lived through a time where, you know, we saw teammates that, you know, either got run down or sick at the wrong time or hurt at the wrong time. Or, 100%. worst case, they're becoming academically ineligible. And I do think a lot of that stemmed from, like, we had a we had a little bit of a culture that was anything goes, right? And you forget that. Yeah. You forget that, yeah. like, you're, you are trying to be different, right? As an athlete, you're, you shouldn't be acting like every other kid on campus who's just going to class and trying to get B's and C's and get their degree and leave, right? You're, you're trying to set yourself apart. Um, so are we perfect? No, of course not. Cause we're still dealing, dealing with college kids, but we've, we've kind of eliminated like the normalness of, I think the, especially the Saturday. I mean, we, I think we are good for the most part outside of Saturdays as a team, but you know, the Saturday mm-hmm. nights we, uh, there's fun stories to be told, right, Kirk? And they are fun, but they weren't, they didn't always end well for, <laughs> for everyone right. or end the way we, that we wanted. So we lost a few out of every recruiting class to ineligibility or the college life for sure. I remember our soft, my sophomore year, there were four or five drinking tickets and two weekends and Zoop lost his mind on us, right? 
And the ironic part about all that, looking back, I agree. It was, and people were getting sick. I got sick in championship season twice. And I went and laid an egg my second year at indoor um, track. I went out, I remember this, we went out after conference and got drunk like we always do. And then I got sick as heck and had got pneumonia and then went to nationals two weeks later and didn't even make finals when I was an All-American the year before. And I think you're very much what you're saying could have been avoided. But the irony about that is, is we were good. Right. Like we had a national championship team and a couple of legit shots where we didn't come through. And it's like very interesting to just like make sense of that, isn't it? It is. A little bit. It's hard because we're nowhere near as talented as we were when, I mean, during, I think you and I were part of, you know, one of probably the two golden eras that Zoop experienced, you know. He had the three-peat relatively early in his career, 88, 89, 90, you know, or Oshkosh, and they sandwiched that with thirds. So they had a five-year stretch where they went 3-1-1-1-3, you know. And then our era, again, we had a couple near misses on trophies, but we still, you know, we won three WIAC titles in four years. We had a third-place trophy, a a championship, obviously, and then I think we had, you know, a couple of their top tens in that same, like, four-year stretch. Um, you know, and, and again, Zoop may argue that our, you know, I think our team that got ninth the, the year after I finished my eligibility, Zoop would say is maybe his most talented team ever. And obviously nationals didn't go the way that, the way that we wanted, but, um, it was, it was an incredible era, you know, and I think I look back at it and it took about 20 years before I would say that any team in the WIAC had the collection of talent that we had at that time. Um, and people mm-hmm. could debate that with me, you know, which would be a fun a fun exercise at some point. But I think right now... You don't now, like to debate, if I recall. You yes, could probably I, hold you know, these, Every think, Friday night when everybody else was drinking, somehow Eamon would get in a debate with somebody about <laughs> something. <laughs> Got to keep people Continue. on their toes, you know. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, right now, like, lacrosse is awesome. Whitewater's awesome right now. Um but it was, you know, to your point, Kirk, like it was, I can't believe the talent that we got. And to illustrate who came to the WIAC at that time, and this ties into your little bit of your recruiting question, you know, or college coaching, what's different? Um, so I finished 14th at state my senior year. Um, I think Ross McDowell, who you remember, my same age, um, he was, I think, in the 20s. Matt Gross probably should have been top 10 on the right day. I think he was right around 30. I think Chad Robinson was right around 30. Um, so that's one recruiting class. That's not counting Dave, who initially went to lacrosse, who is who is our year. Um, so that's one recruiting class. We're getting four in the top 30 of D1 State. Lacrosse, that same year, got four guys that beat all of us, including the state champ and Dan Sutton, if you remember that name. Mm-hmm. So oh, yeah. like that does not happen anymore, right? The and, and in my opinion, it's the internet. The internet has changed the game, which is not necessarily a bad thing. It's probably great for a lot of these athletes to know what else is out there a little bit easier. But we were kind of the tail end of an era, Kirk, where I think if you were a Wisconsin kid, you almost exclusively went to a UW school, you know, and it's mm-hmm. and keeping that level of talent in the state was huge for the WIAC. I mean, you remember there'd be three, four teams in the top 10 every year in cross country ranked nationally. You know, we would consider it a disappointment in the conference if we weren't bringing home two trophies for the WIAC. 
you know, and now it's like the last trophy won is 2018. I think a team or two will do it this year hmm. um, from the WIAC and lacrosse and whitewater. But, you know, it's been five years since anyone in the conference trophy. It's been hmm. eight, nine, eight years since a team won it. Eau Claire won it in 2015. You know, and it took them getting a nine flat two mile transfer from Minnesota and a nine oh seven kid in high school to to stay home in Eau Claire, a local kid, you know. So like those are the things it's taking to to compete at this level now where I do think it used to be I mean, almost our whole team was within an hour and a half of Oshkosh, you know, and Zoop's doing the mm-hmm. job. He's finding these guys and bringing us in and getting us to visit and you know, we got state champs and state runner-ups and top 10 guys across the state, and we're getting four, five, six of those guys every year. Um, and now you're trying to, now you're pumped if you get one of those guys in a year, you know. So it's it's a different game, you know, for what it's worth. So it's it's cool to think back to those days and how, in some regards, of course, I think we could have been even better if we were collectively, our heads were probably in a better spot. But talent-wise, we had such a swagger, you know. Like, man, we those practices were fun, you know. And we just rolled up at meets thinking, like, you guys, if you're going to beat us, you're just really going to have to run out of your mind, which is a cool feeling, you know. Yeah, we had um, surrounding our class, John Leroy, state champion in the two-mile. Yep, back to Brent back. Ryder, Brent Ryder, state champion in the mile. And second in cross country, Brian Butzler, state champion in cross. Nick Belke, state champion in cross. We had Paul Brown, I think third in the two mile and whatever. We had. Yeah, I think he was fifth. I state was cross. state champ cross. I think state he was champ. fifth, but the team won. Team won, yeah. yeah. I was an afterthought coming into Oshkosh. I was like our 13th recruit. I took 35th at state in cross, and I took ninth in the 800. In track, I don't think I think I was the first to not make the finals at the state track meet. Whatever number guy is that is ninth or tenth, but the talent was unbelievable. And I never thought about the fact. I don't know, Bracken, if you how in the know you are in the college recruiting scene, but that makes a lot more sense the way you kind of put it there. Where we used to stay close to home and the talent didn't travel, and now, I mean, what do you remember? I remember letters showed up at my high school. When the announcements were done for the day, they say, Kirk DeWint, you have mail. I physically went to the office, picked up a letter with my name on it, read it, might have said, hey, Coach Zupont here, if you're interested, we'd like to talk to you. It was like that. That's right. what I remember. I don't know if that changed in Bracken's era yet, but, like, that's a lot different now. It hadn't. The extent of our internet was every Thursday, I want to say, they refreshed the state honor roll. You'd go on their website mm-hmm. and click refresh, and you would see where your time was currently seated in the state. That's what the extent of the internet did for us for track. And then if you wanted to, you could go online, which is what I took advantage of if you weren't recruited, and you could fill out athletic questionnaires for a university you were interested in going to. Otherwise, yeah, it was form letters. And they felt extremely impersonal from most of the places. Everyone received from what? You'd get Concordia would send you one. MSOE would send everyone one. You would get one from like, uh, what would it have been? Um, what's that Iowa school that sends to everyone? Lutheran? Or um, is it D3? Augustana? Uh, NAIA? Oh, I'm blanking on this. They have an Ivy League name. Oh, Cornell? Cornell. Cornell. Send one to everyone. Cornell. That was it. Loris, Loris would be good at it. And then every once in a while, someone good would get a phone call. And that was about it. Otherwise, yeah. it was just understood that you were going to go to like your local D3. 
You either met, you either got accepted into medicine, you were the weird kid who went out of state, or you just picked a D three and went there. Yeah. Right. And, and I think and, I don't and, I don't I want to give Paul Brown his due. Of that, you know? Paul Brown might have taken second at state. There's a way to check this. I <laughs> I believe you stole Paul Brown's job, didn't you, Eamon? <laughs> or am I understanding that incorrectly? Yeah, I just talked to Brownie. I just talked to Brownie yesterday. He's still here teaching in the phys ed Kinese department. When I was a freshman, um, going into freshman year, he and Emily were the legends of the conference. Right. And Emily kind of there was a uh, Terry Lebinsky's running camp over the summer. I'd go to, and Emily kind of took me under her wing that summer. And that was my introduction to high school. Was Emily Brown. And so I always felt an affinity when they won state, even though they were at Hale, I was at Central. And then when he went to college and she where she she went to Minnesota for a little bit, yeah. right? Like yeah. seeing that mm-hmm. success, they, they were my beacons of light. Yeah, we didn't know her at all. Brownie never talked about her. Paul didn't. I remember mm-hmm. we were sitting around looking at state results her senior year and she uh, maybe took second or something. I think she won at crossed. least once. I think she won. She won it, and we're like, oh, Emily. Like, we're scrolling through. We're like, Emily Brown from West Dallas. We look at Paul. He's like, yeah, that's my sister. <laughs> like, what the heck, dude? <laughs> we didn't even know we had a sister. Right. He like, never talked about her your once. Your sister's this good, and you're just sitting on this information? Like, yep. She ran at trials, I think, in the mm-hmm. 5K and the steeplechase down the road. Yeah, she was the truth. Yeah, pretty cool. But yes, it was Brownie was here as the interim coach, Kirk, for a for a year and a half. So, um, and I don't know exactly swept the rug out from underneath them. Yeah, I don't know exactly how everything That's played kidding. out, but the job was the job was point six five FTE when I was hired. So my first, you know, this is another. This is also interesting coaching backstory. Um, the salary was like twenty eight thousand dollars my first year here, which is wild to think about when you're coaching year round, you know, in season year (laughs) round, you know, I was making around 50 K teaching an MPS when, you know, before I, before I took this job. What school were you at in MPS? Um, I was at three schools in four years, but my last year I was at Northwest secondary up on like 72nd silver spring. I think it's called something else now, but, um, yeah, those were crazy times too. Cause that was like, I got laid off two summers in a row. That was right after like the big union shift with mm-hmm. with Walker and stuff. So like, and, and now MPS can't find a teacher to save their lives. No, well they could. I mean, I got recalled every year. They were so unorganized. I had so the second summer I got laid off. I didn't want to move out of Milwaukee yet. I'm like, yep, whatever. Like I'll I'll figure this out. I'll start the year subbing and then figure it out. So I the first day of the or sorry the second day of the school year i get called to sub in my old classroom the same exact classroom i was at the whole previous year teaching a different subject and just by chance one of my old principals is now like a supervisor and he's walking through the halls and you know popping his head in and he's like oh mr mckenna he's like are you what class is this i'm like oh this is like english or something you know whatever i was a spanish teacher and like english and He's like, we don't have a Spanish teacher here. And I was like, oh, well, like, I'm available, I guess. So, like, this is how unorganized (laughs) they are, you know, is that, like, they're going all summer, like, going to just layoffs and then not being organized enough to, like, fill positions with names they have, you know. And it was, you know, and again, like Kirk said, I'm a pretty low-key personality, you know. Like, if it's time to compete, I'm going to try to slit your throat, but, like... 
life's supposed to be fun, right? So I'm like, oh, well, okay. Mm. So then literally I'm like back in that school then. I was like, what is wrong with this place? And really it just makes you so, I mean, you're essentially there, right? Bracken, I believe that West Dallas, West Milwaukee is, is and has been ranked kind of the, the second most challenging district in the state, right. typically behind Milwaukee. Um, so you're not far removed from it, but it's it's hard, right? I mean, it was very mm-hmm. difficult to stand in those classrooms for four years and see and feel like that hopelessness, um, you know, surrounding a, a community, you mm-hmm. know, and it's, it's so easy when you get pissed off as a teacher to like yell at a kid or blame the kid. And then you realize like, this you isn't the this kid's, this, this isn't this kid's fault. Right. And for yeah. all I know, like, it's not even the parents' fault because these parents had the same exact experience when they were kids. So, like, who do you learn, right? Like, when do you ever learn, you know, and it's the classic, you know, cyclical, whatever. You can go back in time and, and pick a point or pick our decisions societally or whatever, yeah. you know, without getting overly political. But in the in the heat of the moment in real time it's frustrating because you just feel helpless, you know, like I'm sitting there teaching a subject that nobody cares about in Milwaukee, right. you know, the, like these kids are like, well, what do I need to know Spanish for? You know, like I think the last school I was at, I had, uh, it was about 85% African American. It was 90 some percent free and reduced lunch and breakfast, you know, and, and some of these students, they'd ask me like Mr. McKenna, they actually called me Jefe. That was my Spanish teacher name, which means boss. So that was my title kind of for fun while I was teaching. But they're like, Jefe, they're like, uh, what are white schools like? And I was like, wow, like it stopped me. You know, I was like, yeah, geez, that's like a tough question. You know, like this is something I don't even have to think about growing up in Oconomowoc, yeah. Wisconsin, you know. and then, Milwaukee was the single most segregated city in the United States. Yeah. And the ramifications of that are not hard to see. Right. I, they would ask me, like, they'd find out I was a runner, you know, and they'd be like, oh, where do you run? You know, and I'd be like, oh, I run like 10 miles a day. And they're like, how many blocks is that? You know, which like, again, like totally yeah. like perspective <laughs> changing because you're like, these kids, they live within like a 10 block radius, right? Their whole their everything in their world is right there. You know, they don't even know. So I'm describing, I'm like, Oh, I'm going, I live out on 92nd. I run down to like the river, like zero mm-hmm. and back, you know? And they're like, what? You know, like, what the heck? Like, that's incredible. You know? And they're telling me where I should and shouldn't run in the city. And you're like, yeah. dude, you guys are 15 years old and you got, you've seen things I can't even dream about yet, you know, Mm -hmm. like really interesting, really interesting. And sometimes like powerful experiences, sometimes depressing experiences, obviously, but, um, yeah, really unique. I mean, I'm like, I taught at Arrowhead before I moved into Milwaukee. So like I'm telling kids, you know, like they got a hockey rink, they got like a forest on their grounds you know, they got two build. They got campus. You know, they got a yeah. freshman sophomore building and a junior senior building. You know, and these kids are like, "What?" Like we I'm teaching at detectors. a school where the playground was the parking lot. Right. right? Like they, there's zero grass. There's no. The only grass is that strip between the sidewalk and the road. You know, and you're like, you're trying to tell these kids, like, "Yeah, I don't know what to tell you. I'm sorry, I guess, because this sucks." Right? Like what yeah. you're experiencing mm-hmm. in high school is is wildly you know, lacking, you know, from mm-hmm. what I experienced or, or probably Kirk experienced, or, I mean, even mm-hmm. you in West Dallas, I mean, the facilities are night and day compared to some of these schools in Milwaukee. So, um, yeah. Yeah. We good. moved it, into West Dallas my sophomore year from Milwaukee. Okay. And I was like, 
This place is pretty sweet. Upgrade for sure, <laughs> for sure. So, nah, and we weren't in a bad area, but yeah. Well, there and, are and again, to like it it's—I mean, people are people, right? I mean, life's harder for some people than others, and you know, it was—it was a powerful four years for me, though, to mm-hmm. you know go from a very comfortable upbringing and then going back to that area, Lake Country area, to teach and coach after college, um, and then move into Milwaukee because I was. I needed something different, right? I needed a different stimulus from what for, from what I had experienced for the first twenty five years of my life. I was like, well, this that's isn't, it. This can't be it. Like, I got to do something. You know, I got to see other people and see how the world works better than this. So, so you were hired on point six five twenty eight k a year to run a college program. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I started at. The I mean, there were a number of alum who kind of badgered admin here. My second year, they bumped it up to 0.85, so now I was, you know, like upper 30s. And then my third year, they made it full-time, so it is now 1.0 at least. But, yeah, crazy. I mean, that position's posted up 0.65, and because it's Oshkosh, they're getting 70 applicants, you know, because hmm. of the name mm-hmm. UW Oshkosh, and people are, you know, signing up to say, yes, like, please underpay me vastly. <laughs> Did you, you get know? a meal card? <laughs> No meal card. We have oh. to pay for parking. <laughs> Unbelievable. Do you have? Do you teach on top of that? How do you make that work? What did you I, do your first year? I don't. I mean, I and again, like I've been single with no kids, you know. So it's for me, it was you just live in the life, you know. And again, I had taught for eight years. My first four years after college, I actually lived at home. Um, I think that's probably around the last time I saw you, Kirk, was at the end of that time. Uh, my youngest sister mm-hmm. had had had, a, had my oldest nephew young, um, and is a single mom. So it was it was kind of cool because we're all back there after my college, you know. And I'm getting to like be a part of of my nephew's life mm. early, you know. And again, like in Heartland, like man, I like teaching. You, I could talk. I could talk to you guys for ten hours just with teaching stories, you know. But in Heartland, like those kids were. Yeah. You know, they were, they were bougie, so they'd, like, make fun of me. You know, they'd be like, you live with your mom? I'm like, yeah. Just, like, I actually like my parents. Like, I don't know. So do you, kid. Like, <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> it's like, this isn't that big of a deal. I had one kid tell me they had four houses, and maybe they would lend me one. I'm like, you know, it's just. Yeah. <laughs> so I was at, before I taught in West Dallas, I was at Bigfoot. Okay. Out in Walworth. Yeah. So Fontana, Lake Geneva, yeah, Walworth. Right same down kind by of thing. Lake Geneva, yeah. Kids would walk in with a bigger, like slush fund than I made. Yes, we had it's we had game we had game to. day at the middle school where I taught in Heartland. Okay. So I didn't actually teach at Arrowhead, but I taught in the middle school, the feeder schools. Um, we had game day at this school, and there was like quarter games, right? Like they just walked around the gym, and there's all these little games set up. They pay a quarter, and they win candy or something. So this kid walks in to my class, and he's like, "Hefe, like, look what I got for game day." And he pulls out three one hundred dollar bills in sixth grade. For these games cost a quarter. <laughs> I was like, dude, you could be here for the oh month and not spend that. His money parents yet. are like, is this enough to cover it? He's like, I don't know. Like, oh, just take three. <laughs> right. It was it was a different world. You know, and again, like Oconomowoc is pretty nice, but we, you know, I was not really privy to how affluent the area was because we grew up in a tiny, you know, farming community called Ashapin. 
growing up. I think, Kirk, you were there once. St. Patty's Day, you remember that? Yeah, we had some corned beef. Your old man made. It was fantastic. Julia Webb was there. Well, Julia Gulia. What was her name before? Alan Webb's wife now. Julia Julia Rudd and Paul and Nick. We had a push-up contest. I remember that, too. Julia didn't win that. She was pretty strong, though. She's wired. She and I overlapped for a few years. Um, Yeah, good mems, good mems, so... You had some big disparity in where you taught. Wow, I didn't really realize how the the polar, polarity of uh, both situations. Right. Um, I, I, I want to just, just to, for the listeners. Yeah, Arrowhead is like the was. I don't know. Probably still is the powerhouse affluent high school in South. What do you call that? Southeastern Wisconsin, like it's borderline farm area. But like bougie farm area and a lot of business and close enough to Chicago, Milwaukee. It's just when people around here say Arrowhead, they think rich and they think powerhouse. And right. so to go from that to MPS, which is Milwaukee Public School System, which is the bottom of the barrel in terms of our socioeconomic disparity in our state, it's that's that's as glaring I think as you could have between two districts. Right. Um. I don't want to move on before we give you the lip service you personally deserve in regards to your uh, running career at Oshkosh. Let's get back to that. And then I want to fast forward to where we left off with picking up the job here as the head coach and then talking about all that. But could you just walk me through? We kind of talked up to when you got to Oshkosh, how you chose Oshkosh. We didn't talk about your time right. there. Like what, what, are, what are you proudest of accomplishing? What are some of the things that stand out to you? from back in the day and then of course like how cool is it to teach your alma mater is pretty pretty sweet right. if you ask me but talk about that and talk about those four or five five years i think it was yeah um you know freshman year was a learning experience for sure and this and this is a story i was going to share earlier where you know we're kind of talking about like being balanced and like it's really adulthood for the first time right i mean you don't have like bills to pay to like anything that serious at least in our world during college, but you get to make all your own decisions. And like, I, I vividly remember having a conversation with Zoop in January of my freshman year. I, I had not been progressing that well that first fall. I kind of was like, I was decent. I made our conference team. Um, but Blackhawk, which is our dining hall still at Oshkosh, was treating me too well. So I grew up in a family where it's like meat, potato, veggie. We're having dessert once a week. We're having soda like once a month, you know. So it was like in high school, like I would have eaten more. I'm not going to sit here and pretend I was like clinically hungry or something. But like I didn't I didn't live in a family where it was like, hey, eat as much as you want or ravage the cupboards or whatever, right? So I got to Blackhawk, which is buffet style, everything, every day, every meal. And I didn't know what I was doing. I wasn't ready for it. I was like, this is, am- this is amazing, <laughs> right? So, like, I think I was running – I went from probably running 30 miles a week in high school on average to, like, 50 to 55 as a freshman. And I still gained, like, 12 pounds my first mm-hmm. semester at Oshkosh. So, like – and I'm not getting it, right? Like, I don't know that's happening. I'm just eating because food is awesome and who wouldn't want to go eat at Black Hawk, right? So, in January, Zoop's yeah. like – He's like, yeah, like, what, how do you, how are you feeling? And I was like, yeah, I don't know, I just don't, like, you just feel a little sluggish, you know, like, I just don't feel like I'm maybe where I should be running-wise, and, you know, I think Zoop could see it, but he's, you know, being gentle with it, you know, he's like, what do you, you know, like, how's your diet, yada, 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 you know, and, and I was like, oh, it's, I eat everything, you know, like, I'm pumped, I'm clueless, you know, like, oh, I eat everything, it's awesome, and Zoop's <laughs> like, well, what'd you eat in high school, and I'm like, 
oh, like nothing, <laughs> you know? And he's like, well, maybe you start there, you know, like maybe just have a plan. Like you don't have to be perfect. Like you guys are running enough where you can eat, but like you went from this to like absolutely no limits at all, you know? So thank goodness I wasn't a, an alcohol drinker on top of it. Cause who knows where that would have who knows where that would have taken me, but, um, but yeah, that was a learning experience for me as a freshman to be like, okay, I'm cutting out, like I'm getting rid of juice. I'm having dessert one meal a day now, right? Instead of every single meal, like I'm eating fruit and veggies and, you know, kind of learn. That ice cream dispenser was, was tough to say no to. I mean, yeah, do you want 15 kinds of ice cream every day for every meal? It's there. So Soft nice. serve, great. You want to scoop it out of the tubs? We got that too. 12 toppings, yes to all of those. So nice. Every so day. Nice. I get it. So mm-hmm. that was a learning experience. And then honestly from there, things progressed pretty steadily for me. Um, my sophomore year, um, I was typically our sixth. You know, a couple meets I was our seventh. Um, and we had a very good team. We were ranked in the top five pretty much all year. The goal was to trophy. Um, we ended up doing that. We won conference, which was awesome. That was the last time that the, both the men and the women won conference in the same year. It was fall of 2000. Uh, really cool. Like it was at the meet was at Whitewater Conference, so I remember like just like Zoop and Deb's emotion afterwards. Like really cool. Um, we went to nationals out in Spokane, Washington. Brought home a third place trophy as the sixth runner. It's like, you know it's special. I was the only underclassman on that team. It was all juniors, seniors, and then me as a sophomore. So, like, you know it's a special experience, but you also know, like, you want more, right? Like, I, I technically did not help us do this yet as the sixth runner, right? Mm-hmm. So, in your head, you're like, okay, I got some things to prove still. Uh, but then that sophomore year on the track was my bre- big breakthrough on the track. Um, made indoor nationals. We were hosting at Colf that year. In indoor 2001, which really unique experience in in hindsight, did not like it. It was because I I literally went to class and ate at Blackhawk the day I raced the national 5K. Hmm. You know, so it was hard to like feel like you were at nationals, um, but still like a very cool experience. You know, to kind of be on your home your home turf. Um, I think I got second to last or last that first national 5k, you know, was, I was already running on fumes a little bit by the end of that, that indoor season, um, outdoor, I missed the 10k by six seconds Nats, Um, and then junior year, like really turned into a great postseason runner from that, from that point forward. Um, which again, sometimes it takes a couple years to kind of learn the ropes. Like you said, Bracken, where it's like, you know, my first, your first time at Nats, you felt like, man, I just got spanked. And then your next time you're like, I was ready for it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but junior and senior year, like I was always kind of trained through the season, tried not to overstress if I was, you know, third on the team, sixth on the team, whatever. I just knew I needed to be ready in November. Um, so my junior year, I was, I think I was 20th at the WIAC, which was my first all-conference. You know, I was on the last spot, honorable mention, whatever it is. Um, but then two weeks later, I was 12th at the regional. You know, so I'm jumping from 20th in the conference, then adding all these other schools in and taking 12th at the regional. And then I went and got 46th in the country, so I missed All-American by, by 10 seconds. Um, there were 35 We had a rough go that year. What's that? Went down to watch. I wasn't on that. I was on our conference squad, but I yes, was our freshman 10th year guy my Augie. freshman year, and that was down. Yep, and we 
we uh, we were poised to maybe even make a run at it or top three. And I remember we had a couple sick guys, and it didn't come together that day. And you might have been one of our top runners, even yeah, at 40-something. Yeah, second we, guy behind West that year, which was surprising because I normally had been our fourth or fifth. You know, if we do that, right. we're getting second at the worst. You know, lacrosse had a great team that year as well. They beat us, I think, mm-hmm. by three at conference that year. Um, yep. But, yeah, we should have trophied, but our, our, and our freshmen ran bad. You know, and I think they felt a little bit off, maybe a little tired, a little sick. But, again, like that's part of the growth is if you're relying on freshmen, it's hard to win things, all right? I mean, that's just the – It's frankly, it's unfair to them as an 18-year-old to be like, hey, you have to carry us. But Belkey and Brownie were in our top five for most of that year, and they both had – they had bad days at that. At that I mean, Nick. Meet. Nick debuted and ran twenty four forty in his first collegiate eight yeah. K in the opener as a freshman, and he ran like crazy twenty seven minutes. He at got third at regionals the week before. Third, right? In the, in the talk about region. it was just the epic blow ups that we had. Yeah, uh, but anyways, move on from we that. I just that, now I jump in. I'm a freshman that year. Yes, yes. Kirk's there. You know, having a. I mean, we didn't again like. Same thing you're saying is how we thought, you know, like you and I were buddies, but in my head, I was like, I don't know how good this guy's going to be, because on paper, we got Belky and Brownie and Butzler all in your class, and you're just a guy, you know? Um, yeah, that's a we, big class. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> we, we go to indoor, and um, obviously goals to make it back to the meet. I think I qualified at Whitewater, their Valentine's Day meet they used to host, uh, you know, now they host something similar again. Um, ran fourteen thirty eight indoor to you know at that time that's comfortably making it to nationals. Um, and the goal is to be on the podium for the first time, right? To be an all American for the first time. Uh, Kirk's Kirk's getting in in the fifteen hundred. They were still running the fifteen hundred indoor. Now they run the mile. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had uh, DMR team. We had Gross in an open event. We had Dave in an open event. I was in five k. Kirk and Seeger were both in the 1500 without being and on the Leroy. Relay. So, like, we had three of us in the 15. And who? Leroy, yes. And, oh, yes. Leroy. And, Leroy, and Leroy was on the DMR. So, we had three of our DMR folks were doubling, you know, and then we had two others in the 15, another in the 5K. We, our distance was so good, you know, like, we were just stacked. Um, we did not bring home a trophy at Ohio Northern, but we were probably a top 10 team. I'd have to look, but we had a good team, but we were very No, we, didn't we take second? I got a I, second place team trophy. Maybe it's the next indoor season. Anyways, yeah, I got it from somewhere. Yeah. They All trophied right. at, uh, the DePaul, was that? Yeah, that's where I blew, I contributed zero points to that team trophy, yeah. but I still got one. Yeah. yeah. Well, my first, when we were in golf <laughs> my sophomore year, we took second in the country, which like, I forget to even think about because like, I ran terrible, but we had Shannon King at that time, who you just missed overlapping with Kirk. But Shannon King was a jumper from Waukegan who jumped like 7-4 in the high jump in high school, went to Arkansas, was 8th in Division One in the high jump, and then somehow, still to this day, I don't know how he ended up back at Oshkosh, but he was playing football <laughs> and doing track. He didn't practice with us. He played football. Uh, he would... Once a week, I'd see him in golf, and he'd come into golf upstairs for maybe 20, 30 minutes and throw himself alley-oops, and then he'd leave. And that was like his practice. I mean, he was just an incredible athlete. But when we hosted Indoor Nationals in 2001, he took first, second, and third in the three jumps. 
So I don't remember which was which, but like he scored 24 points by himself and we ended up scoring like 40 and taking second as a team. And, you know, you're like, thanks, Shannon. <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for doing that for us. Hey, you saw that new, what is it, New York uh, team won with one girl going to state and winning all three of her events and maybe a field event and she scored 30 or 40 points and they, the it's, team won the state meet. She was crazy. the only one on the bus. <laughs> we had that at D3 a few years ago. We actually wrote a proposal. I was on a podcast last year with D3 Glory Days. I don't know if you've mm. heard of their podcast, mm-hmm. but mm. we spent like a little mm-hmm. over an hour with those guys talking about a proposal I wrote to change the scoring model at national meets. We want to score. I mean, in a perfect world for me, selfishly, we'd score every person there. We'd, we'd start higher than 10 points, and we'd score every person there and have a better representation of who has the most depth in the country, you know, instead of having two people that go and win two events each, and now they're, that's the best team in the country, you know. So you guys will have to give it a listen sometime if you're, if you're bored. I support that because you have each – every couple of years you have someone who's like, hey, I won nationals. Like what right. event? Like team. Right. <laughs> That's- yeah. We're the third best team in the country. What do you mean we? I only see one of you. <laughs> yeah. You sent one. <laughs> well, I got third. So. <laughs> you, so you got one D1 guy who came back. Good job. <laughs> right. Great coaching. Um, but yeah. So then that we, we were at Ohio Northern. I didn't have a great day, but I outkicked a, a, one of our rivals who we saw regularly from, uh, I think from U of Chicago. Um, and snagged eighth, so first Sullivan. All-American. Kirk essentially did the same. Patrick snagged Sullivan. His, snagged his first All-American yeah. that year. Um, I outkicked out- my own teammate for to do that. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> outkicked my own teammate <laughs> three that's feet the, before the line. Yeah, that stinks. Yeah. That's the best worst <laughs> thing you can ever do. Such a cool moment to be All-American, but yes, like obviously a little bittersweet because you're like, yeah, I really wish I was kicking down somebody, somebody else for this for this spot. Yeah. But, um, outdoor, I made, outdoor, I made Nats. I was exhausted by the end of outdoor. And throughout college, I really struggled to put together three seasons in the same year. You know, again, like an awesome learning experience for people of like, you need to take time and recover and rest, and you need to be smart about how emotionally invested you're getting throughout the year because no no professionals train to peak three times in six months like we try to do at the college level you know so it's yeah it it takes a different sort of balance um but i did sneak into nats on the last night the last Mm -hmm. night of the the qualifying i ran the 10k at augie outdoor that year as a junior and i actually like i was not feeling well so i told my dad not to come he missed two meets in my entire career and this one, because I told him not to come, because um, I wasn't feeling well. And Zoop talked me into pacing for Nick. And then, like, a mile into the race, I just felt good and just led wire to wire and hit the auto standard for the 10K. And we had six guys. We dragged six guys to the meet that day. And then the next meet, we were the bottom six at Nationals, because we, you know, we had just run the 10K six days before. So we were all hurting mm-hmm. but it was it was cool to be there and that national meet like we got to hear billy mills speak he was the speaker at the the banquet that year so that's cool you know i don't know how many listeners even know billy mills anymore but only american to win a 10k gold medal way back in 64 in in tokyo and like a crazy story himself growing up on a, a native american reservation so it was cool mm-hmm. to listen to to him talk um and then senior year was a dream like we went through all cross season knowing that we could win it on the right day. 
you know, trying to, and again, by that point, I had kind of become the vocal leader, the guy who's talking at meetings and just making sure, like, we're staying even keel, right? We're not over, like, good day, bad day, let's just do the job, have fun with it, and when we get to November, we'll be ready. We laid one egg that year. We went over to Lacrosse, which was a meet we always kind of hated because we had to wake up at like 5.15 a.m., get on the bus at 6, drive three hours to Lacrosse, get our butts spanked because we're all dragging and then drive back. So Lacrosse beat us that day. That was our only D3 loss that year and a really weird day for us. We had, I think I was our fourth runner, and I ended up being our third at Nats. Belkey was our fifth runner. He ended up being our second at Nats. And Dave was our sixth yep. runner. And Dave was kind of our leader all year. Dave was our top guy at Nats. But what makes it even more shocking is Dave was fifth in the country. And at this meet, he was sixth on our team. So <laughs> obviously a bad day for Dave, but also a testament to how deep we were too. You know, the fact that Dave could be slightly off and that many guys would beat him. Um, that was our one egg, right. but we went to nationals. We or, Sorry, we went to conference. We won pretty easily i think we put five in the top 13 um at regionals it was at augie in the snow it was or sorry not augie uh uh where's the illinois state meet i'm blanking on it peoria down in down in peoria mm-hmm. illinois i don't even remember who was hosting that year but it was like a light snow during it really cool environment mm-hmm. that was my only sub 25 in college you know you finally got like a flat course on a on a nice day um, I don't want to hear an Oshkosh guy talking about finally getting a good cross course. Well, the thing was, we didn't we didn't do our big home meet until oh, is that what it was? my no fifth year. So, so you know, we had tiny reference- little openers. Oh, okay. we had, like duels at Oshkosh. Yes, yes. Oh, okay. it would be like us and Point, you know, uh, at Lake Breeze. But so Lake Breeze hosted nationals in '99 for the first time, and that was kind of when Lake Breeze started its reputation. But we didn't have we didn't host that big regular season meet until my fifth year when I was out of eligibility. So when I'm telling you about this lacrosse meet we went to, that's what we used to do that weekend. And I think partly because we got our butts beat by lacrosse the year we won nationals in 2002. In 2003, Zoop created our own meet. He's like, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of traveling across the state. You know, like we're gonna mm-hmm. stay here. We're gonna create a big meet. The first year, I think we had only eight teams at the meet, and this would have been Kirk's junior year now, um, my fifth year. But there was only eight teams at the meet, which grew into the big meet that you probably are remembering, Bracken, right? The the Brooks meet, and then yeah. changed names over the years, and now we don't have it because we don't have Lake Breeze anymore. But um, Okay, I retract my criticism then. Yes, no, that's okay. But this is good history, though, for us old-timers, right? So there were, there were eight teams there, and four of them were in the top, like, six in the country all at this little eight-team meet that we're hosting Mm. at Lake Breeze. So people saw that, and then people came out of the woodwork. They're like, yeah, let's go run at Oshkosh. So then we had a nice run. Um, But, yeah, we didn't, you know, I think the fastest course we went, I typically went to in college was Notre Dame. I I ran there Mm -hmm. twice, but both times we were there, it was sloppy. That was the problem with that course. If you caught it dry, it was ultra-fast. But it sat so low in the corner of Notre Dame's campus that if they got rain that week, it was just like a swamp. So, um, But regionals, we took care of business, went on with ease. And then nationals, like we went in. And you're nervous, of course, but we're still thinking, like, we can win this thing. And, you know, again, this is pre-instant results, right? There's no scoreboard there. You know, they have chips, but they're still, like, counting results by hand as, like, a backup, you know? So, like... I remember at nationals, like, 
I got out hard, probably too hard. I was in the top 10 at a mile, got in my head a little bit, faded back. And then I remember coming through the 5K and Phil Keskinen was right by me. And Dave and Belke were ahead of me. So I knew, I was like, hey, we can't be too bad, but you just don't know what you have to do. I remember somebody yelling out like, 43rd or whatever, you know, not even to me, but someone in the pack, right? So I'm like, dang, like, I got to get it together. Like, I, there's no way I shouldn't be All-American. So, like, I essentially just have this prolonged surge the last 3K of the race from 5K to 8K where I'm consistently moving up. I knew I was somewhere in the 20s at the end. In my head, I thought I had buried Phil, my teammate. I'm like, oh, there's, like, the move I'm making is incredible. So I crossed the line. And like I turn around and Phil's in my hip pocket. And he's like, I just followed you the whole way, dude. We got four in already, <laughs> you know. And we're like, awesome. Like a, a few seconds later, Seeger crosses and 45th. And, you know, we still don't know because he just, you know, like Zoop's coming up and he's like nervous and excited. He's like, you know, obviously he thinks we've done it, but he doesn't want to like jump the gun. You know, he's like, I don't know. like. Yeah, it, it looks good. You guys ran well. I just, yeah, I, you just never know. <laughs> oh, so it takes like forty minutes. It's a good impersonation. <laughs> yeah. And then, mm-hmm. like, we find out and we're celebrating in the showers, and like, almost everyone on our team had made the trip to Olaf, you know, to be there. I think Rudy actually was waving the huge Titan flag that he had absconded from somewhere on campus and brought up to the meet. Um, so it was. It was cool. You know, when you're asking highlights, Kirk, like, that's it. I mean, that's number one by far, right? Like, running career as an athlete, nothing nothing mm-hmm. comes close to standing on top of the podium with the full team. Um, you know, having even our guys who weren't on our top seven, you know, there. Um, I think Kirk and Otter, right, were on the trip with us. I was our right? alternate. alternate. Yeah, I actually was seventh at conference, but Phil Keskinen had a bad day. Yeah. And, of course, the right call was made to not not race me. And Phil was an All-American, and I never would have been. So <laughs> if you put me in for Phil Keskinen, we still would have won. That is but true. But barely. We scored 66 points that day. That was, like, the third lowest score in D3 championship we history. We could have scored our top six runners and still won. Yeah, I wow. made a day. It was great. Which is pretty cool. I saw it from – I mean, I was all over that course as the alternate watching from, from afar and Dave and Nick up front leading and – who was the kid, the guy who won um, – oh, what was his name? Uh, Ryan Bach. He won indoor – Bach, who went made a push towards pro afterwards. But watching yeah, you guys give him a good run for his money. It was great to watch. Post-college. Feeling a little left out, so just to add to the cross-country glory years, my fifth year of college, I, um, I didn't qualify for our regional top seven team. I was eighth, and I was I was perturbed about it. So like I'm I'm a cross country runner too, guys. <laughs> I almost ran at regionals, borderline. As a so did I almost. Oh, <laughs> uh, that day was fantastic. I still have a VHS tape of it's like the CBS Sports highlights, and there's a three minute clip of us winning. They yes. like ran through all the D two and D three stuff for like an hour long special on like a Saturday at two PM or something. I remember that. And yeah. I have and that somewhere. Little yeah. snippets of each each championship. Yeah. As so that tr- was that was awesome. You know, really, as a really track cool. Guy, what's we, that? I as a track guy, we always felt like divas kind of. I ran up to eight hundred meters. I dabbled in a few fifteens. But we all felt really fast because we ran a ton of intervals on the track with the cross guys, and we knew 
Like they are nowhere near this, but we all deep down knew we were frauds because we could do our one thing. And if we ever went up, like when I went up my fifth year to run cross, we were so exposed and we all knew that like snagging an all American in track means you beat one person. Like getting to the final is tough, but you only have to beat one person. Right. And we all knew that all American cross sounds like I took 30 second, you know, or whatever it is. You're like, we all knew that that 30 second player on the team uh, runner was so much tougher than any one of us. And we'd see the team up there on the podium and we just all knew like we, we all just felt really exposed watching that, knowing that's the best podium in sports, right? Or at least in running sports, the team right. cross country national title is more special than anything we do in track because right. everyone has to run the same event. Yeah. Like if I'm all American in an event, which I was never individual, but if I make nationals final, by the time I'm there, you sneak into finals based on tactics and you beat one person. Every single person had to show up to the exact same event at cross nationals and race each other. Like there's no hiding. So I firmly believe people towing the line. Now there's like 280 people at nationals. So, so I firmly believe the cross country national title is the hardest running event to win in college. Yeah, it was, it was very cool. You know, and then indoor my senior year, I got, I actually got hurt doing a workout. So I think it was, I think, uh, I think Phil actually kind of cut off fast or no, maybe fast cut off Phil in a workout upstairs in golf. And I was right behind Phil and he jerked back, you know, and then I caught his leg on my downswing and broke a tendon in my foot, which I actually think was a blessing in disguise. Cause like I said, I never made it through outdoor feeling awesome until my fourth year because I got like three weeks off in indoor. So I ended up redshirting indoor, um, came back outdoor, and honestly, I'd never, like, I had never felt that way on the track. I just felt like refreshed and rejuvenated. So that year, my worst race was the first race of the year. We ran a 5K as a workout, and I ran 14.52, which, again, in this era, these kids will be like, 14.52 sucks, you know? But, like... Back then, like you're, if you break fourteen forty, you're in the mix for Nats, you know. So I'm just running that as a workout. The next week, I lead wire to wire to run fourteen thirty five. Um, I run my ten k PR at Hillsdale thirty twenty three. I come back the next week and run and double at conference. I take third in the ten k. I was a little tired from from Hillsdale the previous week because Dave hadn't run it there, and Dave won it. Stelgis from Platteville was second. I got third. Belkey was fourth. Uh, then I came back the next day, and it was probably the most magical finish I've ever had. 1,200 to go in the conference 5K. I'm about 25 meters behind Dave and Stelgis, and just something came over me, and I ran the last 1,200 in, like, 321 or something and just surged past them and got my only conference title in the 5K. I think we went one two four six as a team in the 5K that year. I mean, our distance was – we lost to lacrosse mm-hmm. that year by four and a half points at the conference meet. And I think our distance was 10K, we went 1, 2, or 1, 3, 4. 5K, we went 1, 2, 4, 6. Steeple, we went 1, 3. Um, 15, I don't even remember what we went. I know Gross got I was a set fourth. 15. 2, 4, Gross maybe. Gross was second, I was fourth. Leroy was probably. I don't remember. No, Leroy Leroy was in the 5K. So it Anyways, yeah, we scored some points. It might have been you too. Maybe Seeger was in there, but 2, 4, because Kleimenhagen beat Gross. The 8, we were a 1. We probably scored two other guys in the 8. Gross won it, so... Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, we probably scored over 100 points in the five distance events. Um, but it was a cool team to be a part of. And then at Outdoor Nationals, um, got sixth in the 10K, you know, kind of hard fought. 
And then the 5K, like, took a risk with six laps to go. In hindsight, I should have waited at least two laps, but I felt good. We were just clipping off, like, 70, 71 the first six laps. I'm like, I can close from here. And in my head, I knew I was, there were fresh guys in the 5K, you know, and I had run the 10K two days before. So I'm like, hey, if I can break this open, get, like, kind of maybe clinch, like, a top five or something, that'd be awesome. That's going to be points for the team. Well, I take off with six laps to go and throw in a couple, like, 66s. And I'm like, okay, nobody respects my move in the field. Not a single person goes with me. So, like, I have pictures <laughs> of, like, I'm, like, thir- I'm like 25 meters ahead of everyone else with a mile to go. I forget about that. I get to 1,200 to go, and we're rounding the first corner right after that, coming on 1,100 to go, and eight guys go past me just all at once and i was like oh no you know i'm like i gotta get one just to get on the podium now so like somehow i mustered like another move and i outkicked one guy on the last lap to get eighth but um yeah it was a learning experience i was like yep went too early you know but um the double all-american was like at that time i was only the second guy in uwo history to do that 10-5 double all-american we still only have three and those names are big names like matt thal did it first and he did it multiple times and he ended up he ended up like actually getting robbed out of a trials trip in the 10k i think it was 2004 and he was in the top 24 in the country in the 10k but they took like some bigger names that had run fast 5k and bumped them out of there but he he was like a 2850s guy back when 2850s was like really moving still mm-hmm. um and then Willie Call, who you guys probably, I mean, you would have, you would he was have been in there teammates with me. for a little bit, Kirk, right, with Willie? I yep, didn't yeah, overlap with Willie, yep. but. Um, I did, yeah. But, yeah, Will, uh, Willie, just another big name, like a five-time national champ. So that's Willie one of, was like, one of the three most impressive runners I've ever watched in Willie? my life. Yeah. Just in terms of visually impressive as a runner. Just didn't mm-hmm. look like he had any flaws, you know, so good. He was genetically created to look pretty while running. Uh-huh. So and then he took up biking after college. It's yeah. interesting. Really? To look so pretty running and then to get on the road bike. Yeah. That's what I think he, he got in some injury uh, track toward he the did. end of college. Yeah, yeah, he was a little he – he, he had some fragility to him. But, yeah, it was – those are big names. So, like, my, my highlights of my athletic career at Oshkosh are obviously winning Nats with the team and being All-American as part of that, number one. But then that double All-American outdoor is, like, that's a big deal. You know, there's three people in our school who have done that ever. So that's a cool little, selfishly, that's, like, a cool group to be part of, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I didn't qualify that year. I was a 10th out of making it in the 1500, which stung a little bit. But um, couldn't pull it together at North Central late in the year. But, um, okay, we're working. I know you got to probably run at about 1.30, right? That's kind of your time cutoff, if yeah, I'm not mistaken. Yeah, around then. We'll see. We'll see okay. what I can do. You know, this is fun. So but Well, we have... I just want to make sure we can yes, talk about yes. coaching these days. Yes, the coaching. You, so tell me this. And one thing I wanted to touch on, actually, what you brought up about, like, getting to the end of the season and being burnt out or not fresh or finally figuring out a way to make that happen and actually race well in such a – you're right, three championships in six months. That's what you go through as a collegiate athlete. Or maybe seven, eight months. I don't know. What does it come out to? November to May? November to May. It's called seven months. Anyways, a lot of our listeners – never ran at the higher collegiate level or even ran in high school, right? They found running later in life. I don't know. Do we have five, 10,000 listeners, something maybe in our harem that listen regularly, but like 
um, people think, oh, the more you run and the more you train, you just get better and better and better and better. Why would you not be better at the end of the year than you were in the beginning? Like you train so hard all the time. And it's a, it's a lesson I shove down our listeners throat. Be like, you want to get faster? Take a break. You're not running well. You're not out of shape. You're tired. Things aren't going like people, you know, that you have to learn that lesson over and over before you understand it. And I just wanted to like, even at the collegiate level, people might be like, well, I don't understand. Why would Eamon run worse at the end of the year? He's been running and training and racing all year. He should be better. And I just, I'll use an opportunity to remind our listeners of that at any chance I can get that just because you're doing more and rubbing your nose in the dirt constantly, putting your foot to the flame every day doesn't equal better results if it can't be absorbed. Right. And so just wanted to get my PSA out there quickly. I'll do it and again in a future episode and again after that, but just wanted to touch on that. And then from there, now we can talk about your college college coaching experience. Yeah. Now I want to I want to one first question I want to lead with with this is Bracken and I have become students of running. I don't think you're familiar with my running progression here over the last bit, but I'm still chasing it pretty hard. Yes, and uh, not until this summer bet, when I'm seeing these times come across. I'm like, holy crap, Kirk's awesome. Don't <laughs> yeah, <totally>. feed him. <laughs> but point being is, you know, we become – Bracken and I become students of this sport. We're immersed in it. We've been doing the podcast for four years in January. We've released almost 400 episodes. We've competed at high levels in our adult life in the endurance space these last – Bracken for the last decade or more, me for the last six, eight years – um, and I've learned, how, I've understand, I mean, I coach now for a living. That's what I do. I coach how I like put a roof over my head. Who would have thought? And what I'm getting at with this is I feel like I, and me and Bracken have a good understanding now of training philosophy, working metabolic systems, understanding how the body works and responds and why we do what we do. When I was in college, there was a workout on the whiteboard and we did that. And Zoop was a fantastic coach, a great mentor. I don't remember ever being explained to or understanding what we, why we were doing what we were doing or what we were doing, right? So you get out of college. I start training myself. And I'm saying, yeah, well, we used to do four, three by three by 400 meters. I'm going to do that. But like no periodization, no plan, anything. Now I look at coaching and athletes. I mean, we're looking at D1 and these powerhouse, you know, that's what we get fed on social media anyways. And it's like so advanced and so intricate and Everybody's like threshold this and VO2 max that. I didn't know what threshold or VO2 max were when I was in college. I was like, yeah, that hurts a lot. That was probably, that was hard. That's what that was. Anyways, what I'm getting at from that end of things, has that changed at all in – we just worked hard. We put our shoes on and we ran then. Right. I really feel like it's that simple. Is it the same now on the Division three level or is are things complicated now? I think that you're, and th- and this is the tricky part, you know, when we're, we're, we're talking about all these little conundrums we have in the sport. For some people as a coach, and you may experience this even in your, you know, coaching, sometimes you're lucky when someone doesn't ask you questions because that's showing <laughs> that they just want to work, right? They're trusting mm-hmm. you or me as the coach and saying, like, I'm just going to do the job. And I think I was wired like that. And I think you're describing you were wired like that, right? Like, 100%. I wasn't coming, I wasn't coming in asking Zoop, like, why we're doing what. I just knew I wanted to get better, so I'm going to do what's there, right? So, but I do see there's a shift in the athletes know more when they get here than they used to because there's so much information at their fingertips. They can sit there and listen to a podcast 
that, you know, a Morgan McDonald is doing or the Ali Hawars and these are, you know, Madison guys, but, you know, like, and, mm-hmm. and, and Jakob, what's he doing, you know, and what's Yard Nagoose doing now, you know, and on the, on the ladies' side, you got, you know, everyone in their world. Of course, we have Wisconsinite Molly Seidel, super popular right now, you know, so it's like mm-hmm. you have... There's just information out there that I think is maybe a benefit as a person to know, but I don't know if it always benefits you as a competitor, right? And and that's kind of the tricky part is like, in an ideal world, I would love for my athletes to kind of know like, hey, this is why we're doing when, and just sit in it in a very comfortable, confident way, right? But the issue is... They're saying, well, this team does it slightly different, or mm-hmm. this pro runner does it slightly different, right. or they do it slightly differently, and, like, should I be doing that? Or they're overreacting, like you're saying, Kirk, like, in the middle, like, I always ran bad in the middle of October to conference. That was, like, my three-week window where I just, like, that was probably the worst stretch of my year. And by the end of my career, I was fine with that it didn't bother me anymore because i knew i was going to run awesome in november you know but young me was like oh like what what's going on you know like you can't help but think about it well some people never get out of that Mm. they're tired in the middle of october not realizing like well you've trained relatively hard for seven weeks now with the team and we're really not peaking yet right like we're really not trying to be where we want to be at the end of the season but you're getting frustrated because you don't feel as fresh as you did in September when you first come back and everything's exciting with the team mm-hmm. and you don't feel as fresh mm-hmm. as we hope you're going to feel in November when we're actually trying to be fresh you know and then you overthink and you tweak things and sometimes people do it by doing more you know i think even someone like gross was wired like that sometimes where it's like if he had a bad race he'd go like rip a workout that night and you'd be like well like physiologically that's obviously not helping <laughs> you know like that's not what you should be doing phil keskinen phil keskinen shit the bed at conference and was like our 12th runner this is 2 weeks before nationals the following weekend he ran 20 miles on that damn gravel trail on Sunday night, six days before nationals, to rub his nose and prove he was tough enough. And then he goes in in your back right. pocket six days later. That would have been unheard of. But anyways, no, I yes, remember that and, distinctly. And, yeah. and that's the other point of coaching is like, there. and I've had conversations with Zoop and Deb about this. They're like, you can know all the science you want, but the people who run fast believe they're going to run fast. Mm-hmm. So the better you can be at figuring out what that means for this athlete or this athlete or this athlete or this athlete, knowing in your head frustratingly as a coach that like it may be four different things for those four athletes that I somehow have to magically figure out how to make them tick. Like Phil, you could tell Phil to do a 20 miler at sub six pace seven days a week and he was going to be better than if you told him to run VO2 once every two weeks and tempo or threshold week work once every two weeks and speed once every two, like a more traditional model, right? Where like you're getting balanced, mm-hmm. like that's not what Phil needed. Phil needed to feel like he was an effing animal, you know? Mm-hmm. But the problem with that is you're coaching a team with 20 to 25 people on. So like how much differentiation is realistic, right? And like how much right. is, how do you actually do that? So, um, but yes, to, you know, to more directly answer your question, like I think people know more 
and sometimes that's good and sometimes that's bad, you know? And I think I'm not necessarily forced, but like it's more natural that we're sharing the what's and the why's more than we probably got as student athletes because the athletes know they're coming in asking more questions or having more thoughts mm-hmm. or you're having to talk them out of doing something crazy that they saw, you know, Jakob Ingebrigtsen do. And you're like, you're not Jakob Ingebrigtsen. Like, mm-hmm. what are you, you know, like, it's really <laughs> cool that he can do that stuff. But like, you probably should not be mimicking that stuff. It's funny because on here we talk so many times about you need to know why you're doing everything because we're speaking to adults who are self-coached or we've done whole podcasts on bad coaching because people prey upon the rec runners. Like we can just we can just make a lot of money off that that population because they don't know any better and I can tell them whatever they want and I keep them confused. However, I think college is maybe the most difficult age to coach. Because high school kids are raw and naive and will just listen for the most part. But college kids are old enough to think they're adults and young enough to not have their brain fully formed yet. Like scientifically, physiologically, you can't, like males aren't, they haven't fully formatted their decision making like pathways until they're like 25. Right. And so you, like it's paralysis by analysis with a lot of college kids where like, scope and perspective isn't their strength so they're smart they're intelligent they're good but they don't quite know what to do with all their information yet and i think that that coach side of college is has to be very difficult because how much is enough information like you said some people will run through a brick wall if they believe that wall is going to shatter when they hit it and that's the only thing that matters like it'll shatter because they think it will and other people have to know the what and why of everything and others like you have to keep them in the dark and it's good coaching to keep them in the dark or to lie to them some athletes must be lied to but how do you do that for an entire stable of athletes who are all in their i'm almost an adult years right and they all know every like and they all communicate like the communication is so much more open and free now that it's higher it's harder to it's harder to hide it for some people or tweak yeah. it for some people because they know what everyone else is getting told too. and our coaches used to lie to us on split yeah. sometimes right because we weren't uploading our run afterwards and checking it we right. didn't know yeah. most of the time we didn't run wear a watch for some for some types of workouts you can't get away used, with that anymore Zoop said he used to sometimes at the beginning of the season like just as an example like if they're doing k's they maybe do like a thousand twenty early in the season and then later in the season when they're doing k's during championship season he'd measure out 980 you know so it's like even if you feel <laughs> did he tell bit, you that he did not tell you that yeah not that when i was in school good. but after yeah afterwards and i was like yeah it's not dumb you know, yeah. I was like, the problem is you can't do that anymore because everyone has their opinion based on their watch anyway. You know, yeah. unless you make them not wear a watch, you know, which is their <laughs> own form of obsessiveness that they need because it needs to go on Strava now or it needs to go wherever they're posting it to track their mileage, right? And we used to track our mileage by like, we'd go out on a route, we think we knew the distance. Half the time we were a mile off from what we even thought the loop was supposed to be. Right. Then we went back and chicken. Zoop chicken. eight was like seven point one. Yes. We chicken scratched it into our log, our our binder, and then we'd turn it into soup once a week and be like, Hey, this is what I did this week, you know. And now it's like these kids like uh, we'll do a we'll do a mile rep and they'll get done and they'll be like, I have that long, Amen. I'm like, Well, I use the wheel. So like you can I really like you can believe whatever you want. <laughs> But, like, if you're that upset that your watch had this at 1.03 instead of a mile, like, maybe you were weaving around. You know, maybe your watch is just off. Also, come race day in cross country, nobody cares 
what the course is actually measured at because everyone's doing it. Everyone's doing the same thing, you know. Like, you want to race on the track, sure. But, like, we'll even get kids in this era with that, you know. Like, we'll be doing a workout upstairs in golf, and they'll be they'll turn their GPS on. <laughs> and then they'll get done, and they'll be like, yeah, I had the 200s as being a little bit long. I'm like, I just, this just seems like something you shouldn't be worrying about. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's a different time that's for sure we all had just our little iron man watches or i think i had a nike watch yep, still got this remember. bad boy you know still <laughs> rocking it yeah um well okay the last thing again i know we're watching the clock here and i want to be respectful but can you touch quickly we touched on the beginning about the recruiting these days versus the old days like how does that process look when everybody's so available what do you do where do you start yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of it, and again, I'm not going to pretend to be the greatest. You know, I think interpersonally, I think we do a good job and we sell a vision of what Oshkosh is. But admittedly, like recruiting, the diving into accruing contacts is tough, right? Like for me, it's probably like the least fun part of the job. I love when the recruits are here on campus and you actually are like selling your vision, right? But the the badgering people to get a contact or texting, you know, of, of so many of these kids, like they're not going to talk on the phone. No, you know, like many of them will, but many of them won't. You'll call, they'll ignore you. If you text them three minutes later, they'll text you back. So, you know, they're on their phone. They just don't want to talk on the phone, which whatever, that's the world that we're in now. Right. Um, so that part's different, but you know, for us, it's, you know, it's like going through even social media channels to get contacts. It's still emailing coaches. You know, now you don't have to mail to a school like in our era, but you are emailing coaches and saying, hey, like, we're interested in so-and-so. Are they looking to run in college? Would you mind sharing their contact info? Um, it still happens at meets. You know, obviously we don't get to as many meets as ideally you'd like because we're in season as well, right? Whenever we're in season, that our recruits are in season. So, that's a difficult game, but when you're at a meet, you're walking around the meet and trying to meet people face-to-face, you know, um, say hello, get new contact information either from a coach, you know, or get permission to talk to the athlete. And, um, you know, so there's a variety of ways. You know, for me, the big thing is, like, can we get their cell phone? Because that's how they're going to communicate, you know. So, like, if we can get their number, then it's, you know, texting or messaging, um, and then essentially trying to get them for a visit, right? But yes, it is it is a much different world, you know, and I think that even Zoop and Deb lived through, probably frustratingly to a certain degree, lived through like the last decade of their career looking a lot different than the 80s and 90s did, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, I have memories when I was in college of watching Deb bring female recruits to campus and watching her interact with them in the lobby right behind me in front of our trophy case and just simply being like, this is why you come to Oshkosh. And the girl's eyes just being like, holy crap, so you guys just win every year? You know, I think we had a 15-year YAC mm-hmm. conference winning streak, you know, that, during that time. Mm-hmm. And it was like, yeah. You know, and then already like three, four years later, by the end of your career, probably, Kirk, you know, closer to the beginning of yours, Bracken, is like those same girls who used to come to Oshkosh almost no questions asked are telling Deb, well, like I have an offer, you know, she's like, okay, like where, you know, like, Oh, now Winona or Mankato or Milwaukee or 
Eastern Illinois or Illinois State or mm-hmm. what have you, right? These schools that, like, I don't think Zoop and Deb really even were battling that often are now throwing chump change, especially on the women's side where there's, you know, there is more money to be had on that side. And it's it's an interesting dynamic to, to be coaching at a program where, like, our national award is named after Deb, the Deb Verkateran Program of the Year Award in Division Three. Right, so it's inter- it's it's interesting to coach at a place that's had so much success, success especially on that side, and feel like you're recruiting women who I am viewing as like a just a a body, right? To, that this person could grow and help us down the road, but they're not someone I'm targeting as like immediate difference mm-hmm. maker. And even those level women are telling us, well, like, I have this offer and this offer and this offer and this offer. And I'm like, holy cow, like, you're not even someone who projects to be an All-American at D3. You know, <laughs> you know, like, you're just someone who might help us in two years. And like, I'm going to lose you to a scholarship, you know, which is, it's a different game, you know, like, it's very different. And, and it is the same thing on the men's side. I think the men is probably less about the money opportunities and more about just knowing what else is out there, though. You know, like we've talked about, you're, almost every person we recruit has been contacted by double-digit number of coaches. You know, whereas I think when we were in school, I mean, I don't know how many people talked to you, Kirk, but I had one coach actually call me. I think I got mail from Whitewater. That was the only other UW school that reached out. And the only other coaches I talked to were because I went and visited their school, you know, and like, mm-hmm. was like, hey, I'm going to be on mm-hmm. your campus. Can I come and talk to you? You know, and they didn't even recruit me afterwards. You know, like no, none of that. Like I'm going to Norbert and Lawrence and Marquette, you know, Madison. That I mean, that was Jerry Schumacher's era. He wasn't going to recruit me. I realized right. real quick. I'm like, okay, so you guys are a different world. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, like you go and you talk to them for 30 minutes, 45 minutes on a visit, and then they they don't even recruit you after that anyway. You know, so like, and now it's like these kids are getting texted by 10, 20, 30, 40 different coaches, and you're just another name, you know, so. So how do you combat that? Mm-hmm. What's the counter? Because you can't offer money. Right. So the, what do you the do? Co- the counter is the vision here, right? Now, if you ask me at a different school, I don't know. Like if I'm outside the WIAC, I don't even know. You know, some of these smaller, like, private schools in state. But, you know, really you're trying to sell your niche, right? So, like, I did coach at Wisconsin Lutheran for a year when I was teaching an MPS. I helped coach Travis down there. And for them it was, hey, like, we're providing you with this small student-athlete experience. They get a lot of Lutheran student-athletes there, you know, so that people are choosing that school based on faith life, upbringing. This is the type of community I want to be in. We've had good people. Could you be next? Could you be a little bit of a trailblazer at a place like this? Whereas at Oshkosh or La Crosse or right now Whitewater Men, you're recruiting to say, like, look at our history. This is what we do here. In-state kids come here. They run with a bunch of guys who used to be their enemy in high school, right? And now you're on the Mm -hmm. same team with those guys. And how cool is that, right? Like, how cool is it to come together and have all these guys that you used to look around the state and be like, oh, they're so fast, or they might be a little scared of them at a a sectional or a state meet. And now you're looking and you're like, these guys are on my team now. Like how, you know, like how cool is that? But, um, and the big thing, of course, in the UW system is we sell cost. You know, I mean, we're still fortunate, you know, that 
the state of Wisconsin, you know, is funds our big public institutions so well that we're going to be more cost efficient than almost anywhere else they're looking, hmm. you know, but we're also not really the, the shiny new object, you know, that some of these other schools have and our facilities at the UW system, you know, being public schools have fallen behind the private schools, na- you know, on a national level. Um, so it's, that's what I try to do at least, you know, the success rate. I mean, it ebbs and flows, right? Sometimes you get some magical groups and classes of kids who buy in and sometimes you don't, you know, and I've had some, some luck and some awesome people come through here and I've had some years where you get two or three kids, you know, you're talking to hundreds of kids and you get two or three kids in one recruiting class and you're like, yeah, I mean, part of that's out of your control, right? All you can do is control the message, you know, right now, obviously Mills at Whitewater is living like his greatest era ever, right? Like Mm -hmm. that's the reality on the men's side. It's like, he's got this group of guys that he's never experienced before and what'll happen three years from now who knows it could it could ebb again you know so um yeah it's it's a challenging game a lot of it is fun especially when you actually get to sit down with like a kid and their family and kind of explain like who you want to be but a lot of it is also terrible right because like who and as you get older it gets less fun right like who like now i'm 42 i was 30 one when i got the job it's like you're walking up to 16 and 17 year olds you know and texting 16 and 17 year olds like hey come hang out with me you know obviously that's a little tongue-in-cheek but like you get it right like it's the game is and, and it's all virtual now which makes it weirder it almost was probably nicer when zoop or deb had to pick up the phone and talk to your parents before they talked to you right like hey is kirk there uh-huh. right now it's like i'm just texting kids you know, and you're like, oh, hopefully these kids, you know, don't leave me on red for the next two months. But, but <laughs> that happens so too. Frustrating. So, yeah, and and sometimes you win those battles. Like a funny story, recruiting. So my first three years, I was the head men's track coach here too. So I was coaching, or I was recruiting every event group, which you know it was difficult, especially because I don't have a great knowledge in some of these event groups. Um, but I was recruiting who's now our school record holder in the 400, a, a young man from who went to Bayport. Ryan Powers, and he had run like 48 point and broken 11 and broken 22, you know, in the one, two, the four, the one, and the two. So very good runner. Um, and he did not, I, I texted him probably about once every other week on average from October to April. And he never replied. He didn't pick up the phone when I would periodically call him. You know, he had been responsive after his junior year at first. In April of his senior year, he texts me. We're heading down to a meet at Hillsdale in Michigan. He texts me, and he's like, hey, coach, uh, do you think that maybe there'd still be a spot for you on my team? So I immediately call him, you know, and, I, like, I'm pumped. I'm like, how is this even real? You know, but, like, this is the another frustrating part with recruiting is this kid ignored me, straight up, zero contact from him <laughs> in six months. And I just kept putting, you know, I just, I just didn't give up. You know, I kept a bug in his ear, but he never answered me for six months and then texts me out of the blue that he's interested in Oshkosh, which is a coach, like, what's the lesson there? Because, like, really, I'd like to be able to give up. Like, we always tell recruits or when we speak at camps, we tell them, like, if you know you're not going to go to a school, tell the coach so that we're not wasting our time and we're not wasting your time, right? Mm -hmm. But then you have these weird anecdotal stories like this where it's like, this kid's sending you every, you know, he's... He's sending a message in his own way 
of I'm ignoring you, dude, right? Like I have no interest in Oshkosh. But then six months later, he's like, just kidding. You know, like, I'll come to Oshkosh. Then he ends up being like a 46-second quarter guy down the road. And you're like, wow, I can't believe that worked out, you know. But the le- the lesson is the lesson is bad for a coach because it's like you don't even know what to do. You know, like, should I give up or not, you know. Most of the time you give up and it's the right thing to do. But sometimes if you do give up, you miss out on, you know, like this kid was a, he was a school record holder in the 200 too. So it's like. If I if I just give up on this kid in October of that year when he start you know, when he first starts ignoring me then like we probably don't get him <laughs> you know but yeah sounds a weird a weird game it is so new age wild west <laughs> track and field I imagine you have to run and I have one I know Bracken you probably got a couple too so I'm sorry but what you can sum this up as quickly as you can because I want to be respectful of your time why are kids so fast today in college. What the heck is going on? Why is D3 5K being one in 1340? Come on. It's incredible, you know, and it's it's hard to know. I think that, I do think that part of it is people naturally raise their level when they see other people doing stuff. You know, that's always a part of what's next, what's the next limit, what's the next frontier. Um, part of it is the shoes, you know, and I'm not going to claim to be an expert on exactly what that means or even give you a percentage on that. But certainly, since the you know the carbon plated revolution has it has to be contributing, right? I mean, there's no way it's not contributing to some degree. Um, right now in D3, I think a slight part of it, especially on the men's side, is that you're going to have a three or four year run where you have way more fifth and sixth years than you ever have because of COVID. So kids are hanging on to this extra eligibility, mm. staying in school, adding a, adding a major or a minor, doing grad work so that they can finish up their eligibility. So now you have way more 23 and 24-year-olds in the mix mm. than you normally would. Mm. You know, Will it regress a little bit in another two years when that period's over? I think a little, but I do think part of it is here to stay. You know, I think a lot of it's just the competitiveness I also think that, you know, from a guy who's been a public school guy essentially his whole life, right, a UWO athlete, a UWO coach, the private schools are awesome uh, around the country. I mean, schools that, quite frankly, we never had to worry about or never thought were good are good. Some of that's the facility game has changed at these schools where they've recognized, like, you know, with their endowments and donors, like, if we create a nice atmosphere, we're going to get more bodies Part of it, of course, is they can recruit nationally better now because of the Internet. They know who's able to get into their school, right? The, especially the elite academic schools in D3, you know, the Chicago's and the Wash U's and the Pomona's and the Williams and the MIT's and the Hopkins of the world. Like, it used to be way more difficult for them to truly recruit nationally because they're mailing stuff. Now, this information is just there. And they know, you know, like I have, I had a guy I coached, Jordan Carpenter, who's now coaching at BU at Boston University, and he had co- coached at Pomona. And he was telling me like what recruiting is like for them at Pomona. Pomona is a top 10 academic school in the country, right? And he's, you know, he's like, first of all, I can't get a bunch of kids because our standards are so high. But also like we know everyone who has an awesome ACT or, you know, who has done this or that, like, we know this. So now we can go target these people from around the country, you know, whereas in the 90s, what does a school like that do? Like, mail the high school and say, hey, do you have any really smart kids? 
You know, like I don't even know what they would. I don't even know what they would do. So, like a lot of different moving parts to it. But you know, I think mainly like better kids. Better kids are realizing the D three option nationally. I think the level has has risen, and I think obviously the technology is. You know, again, like we talked about with coaching, the technology maybe even once you believe something helps you, what does that mean for your mind? Right yeah. now, people just expect. Mm-hmm. Like I should be five seconds faster per mile because I'm wearing these shoes, you know, and it might not even be true. But if you like, if you deep down believe that, like you're going to be more likely to show up and get the job done. So, so yeah, that's kind of a, a brief synopsis. No, that was that was really good. I touched upon all well, the factors, right? Yeah. Do you, Brad? Can you have anything you want to wedge in there while we got Eamon? That's not wedge. <laughs> I, a wedge I, what do I not ever do? at least on podcasts, is be brief. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You guys have conference this weekend. Yep, we're River Falls hosts. It's going to be interesting. They're hosting it at a high school, Prescott High School. They were a punching bag. Are they any better now? What's that, River Falls? No, they're really really bad right now. I mean, I think they have some good coaches right now. Their problem historically has been turnover, right? And that's, of course not rocket science to figure out if you have a new coach every two or three years it's really hard to build right Mm -hmm. so i think they have some you know i don't know them that well because they're opposite side of the state but you know we've seen them a few times now and at state meets and recruiting and whatnot and you know i think they care and are invested but that will be the game for river falls is does someone want to stay there for 10 or 15, 20 years and build something? And if not, then it's difficult. And that's true of any of that. That's true of Oshkosh. We struggled in track. We had four head coaches in four years during a stretch while I was here for our men's program. And it was tough. It was tough to maintain any continuity or or a really high level of success because there's no vision, you know, kind of being sold. So, but yeah, they're hosting at a high school. It's, it'll be interesting. You know, it's essentially running around some high school grounds. So, um, We'll see. We'll, we'll get to see it tomorrow. We're going to go up and preview it tomorrow. So, Okay. Well, good luck out there. Thank you. Yeah, I'll join you guys anytime, and even if it's off the record, we'll just shoot the breeze about running. So, That would I'll be good. I want, I'm meaning to get back for, um, you know, I might try to wedge my way into an indoor track race or uh, maybe come run an alumni event. I still I might be chasing the sub-15, and i got to find opportunities to do it. I got real bad luck with the heat both attempts this summer yeah. and so I, well, you let me know what you're you looking know. at because there will be some opportunities by you i know stout hosts every year in february it's relatively close to okay. you at least and there they would be some guys you know going after sub 15 for sure there between stout and eau claire um you know if you come our way you know if you come for the alumni meeting they probably won't get a sub 15 type of field but um, at, at an I'll rabbit at an alumni meet, but yeah. Hey, so. I just need cooler than ninety degrees. That'd be nice, which I bet you it will be, and that's a good start. And we'll go from yeah. there. What would we, happen to your body yeah. running two hundred meter turns for that many laps right now? Oh, not a clue. We can at least find not you someone, Kirk, to give you like even someone like Joe Zach. You know, like that dude. At least he'll give you like three k or something. So. Yeah, you let he me let know. me lead him for three k the last well, race, and then he blew was, me yeah, out of the he water. Was a little off. He was a little off his game, but I think he's you know whatever. Nursing, he was right on his game. He was he was on it so hard. The nursing transition was has been a little tough for him. I think balancing the night shift and figuring out training. But I met him at a race yeah, this summer. He's a good guy, super good guy. So. He's a jerk. He beat me. 
Hey, he ran 14 teens just like a year and a half ago on the track. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to ever forget that. Yeah, well, let me hey, know. Hey, it's I'll, been good seeing you. Yeah, I'll stay in touch with you, and thank you both for the time and the fun and the reminiscing, and we'll do it again whenever you want. Excellent. Awesome. Good All luck right. this weekend. Thank you. Appreciate it. Take care, guys. Good luck with training and life. Thank you. Thanks.